God has given to every one of his people the extraordinary privilege of prayer. We are created to be in communion with him. Primarily, we are to enjoy his presence as we experience his strong, life-changing love. While in his presence, he communicates with us by giving us his word, showing us what it means and helping us to do his will as we live out our lives where he has placed us. Finally, as we see things or hear things that stir our hearts, we may talk to him about them. We can ask him to do anything that agrees with the words he has spoken to us, and we can be assured He will always answer according to his perfect character. Now, we see this illustrated in our passages this morning. After Moses had been on Mount Sinai 40 days to receive the instructions of God's covenant with his people Israel, they blasphemed the almighty God who had set them free from slavery in Egypt with a dozen miracles. They urged Aaron to create an idolatrous God in the image of a calf. And then they worshiped the work of Aaron's hands as their savior. Due to this grievous insult, God said he would wipe them out and create another people to follow his prophet Moses. Moses' response is both instructive and challenging to us. He stood before God and petitioned on behalf of of the people for God to forgive them. And Moses based his prayer on two words God had given. Two words that he had given. The first was to Abraham and his descendants. And the first was that Abraham would have a multitude of descendants and that these descendants would inherit the land forever, not just for a short time. It was an eternal inheritance. And as a result of this petitionary prayer, God was moved to compassion, and he did not destroy his people. And here's something I had to relearn this week. Hear me, this is important. This is God's will. Prayer in accordance with God's word can and does change things. Change things. Now let's learn from the details. In our passage in Exodus 32, there's two parts. The first part is 
the people break the first two commandments, enabled by Aaron's willful work, and Yahweh says he will destroy Moses' corrupt people. So we're told that the people turn on Moses, and they command Aaron to make them an idol god, and he crafts a molten calf idol. Okay, line by line. When the people saw Moses delay to come down, they gather to Aaron and they say, Up, make us, make us a god, because we do not know what has become of this man who brought us up from Egypt. Now, this word delay, he is delayed in coming down, it is literally shame. And and what scripture is telling us by this is Moses should be ashamed of himself for hanging around with God. And then they ask Aaron to break God's second word of commandment and make an idol. So Aaron then asks them to bring their gold jewelry, which they do. So, and you can check this in numbers, Aaron um, collects gold jewelry from about two million men, women, and children. That's how big they were as a nation at this time. And then we're told he fashioned the gold with an engraving tool and made a calf from the melted gold. And they say, this is your God who brought you up from Egypt. Now, this word fashioned is interesting. There is a parallel word in Scripture that has to do with creation. It's what God did after the earth was formed, and from the earth, he created all of life. Isaiah also uses this word, and Jeremiah observes a potter creating beautiful things with his hand. This word has almost the opposite meaning, okay? We can create out of love and joy for who God is, but if you've ever been given a task to do something and you just go, I don't want it, well, the implication of this is that this is creation with hostility. And so I don't really have place to answer this question, but I couldn't help but ask. Maybe deep down inside, Aaron knew what he was doing was wrong. Now, the fact that he made this idol, there's irony all over Scripture. Aaron's name means light bringer, and he's doing a deed of darkness at this time. What a contradiction. And then they break God's first word of commandment by saying, this is your God. You shall have no other gods before me. They certainly are right now. Well, Aaron saw what they are doing. And adding fuel to the fire, he built an altar before this calf idol. Then he called a feast to Yahweh tomorrow. And they rose up early and they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. But then they sat to eat and drink. King James said play. Another translation would be sport. So what's going on here? 
having started real bad by building an altar to this false god, he tries to turn them to Yahweh. He said, we'll have a legitimate feast to Yahweh. But as Jesus would later say, no one can serve two masters. You're all in with the one or you're all in with the other. You can't straddle the middle. But the next morning they get up and they make proper offerings. Burnt offerings and peace offerings are pleasing to God. But then they eat and drink and sport. And this is plain and simple debauched revelry. Let me take this word sport and I'll give you some examples from the book of Genesis. We're told that after the servant of Abraham brought Rebekah back to be Isaac's wife, they then on their honeymoon sported. We're also told that the wife of Potiphar ex- ex- uh, accused Joseph. He said, this Hebrew was brought in here and he tried to make sport of me. So we know what's going on here. This is a drunken, carousing orgy. They're totally out of control. And this very same behavior was condemned by the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Galatians. So after this news, Yahweh then commands Moses to go down because Moses' people are corrupt and they have turned from the way he commanded them so he will destroy them. Yahweh spoke to Moses, go down because your people have corrupted themselves. Now, again, here, this this could be comical if it wasn't so tragic. Yahweh brought them out of Egypt, that's clear. Everybody knows that. And he did it by Moses, but now he's putting these people on Moses, They've disobeyed me. All people are sinners. You're a person. They're yours, Moses. They're nothing like me. And he says that because they are spoiled and ruined by this action, they will be destroyed. He says they've quickly turned away from the way I commanded them and have worshipped and sacrificed to the molten calf they made for themselves, saying, this God saved them. In other words, they have departed from the way that Yahweh had just given to Moses on Mount Sinai. And they are worshiping an idol. He accuses them of idol worship. And because Aaron is their leader and he joined in with them, we realize and we learn that even leaders can fall into idolatry along with the people. And he says, I've seen these people. Behold, they are stiff-necked. Now leave me, and my wrath will burn against them. I'll consume them and make you a great nation. Stiff-necked. I love the way the King James Version renders this word. They are so stubborn, they do not bow their necks or heads in worship to the true God, Yahweh. And so he says they will be consumed. They will be destroyed to death. And then he will start over. 
You know, God is very much of a forgiving God, but let us never forget, idolatry deserves destruction. Thank God we don't always have to get what we deserve. And now comes part two, and this is what struck me on Tuesday night. Moses interceded with Yahweh to remember the words of inheritance. He spoke to their ancestors, and Yahweh was moved with compassion. So Moses prays that Yahweh would not kill his people to whom he had spoken gracious words. Then Moses beseeched Yahweh his God, why will your anger burn against your people whom you have brought forth from Egypt in great power with a mighty hand? Beseech. This is begging, intercessory prayer. Your people, I love this because now Moses rightly gives God's people back to him. They're your people. He continues his speaking to God. He says, and why would the Egyptian, oh, wait a minute. Um, When he says your great power and everything, this is a very important question. Why would Yahweh be angry enough to destroy the very people he saved by his miraculous grace? We understand there's two sides to God, but Moses now is petitioning, why would you destroy the ones you saved? Because why will the Egyptians then say in evil he brought them out here to kill them? To kill them on the mountains and consume them, destroy them from the face of the earth. Moses is now concerned that a pagan nation would misunderstand his behavior. Turn away from your burning anger. Have compassion over this evil intended for your people. So after two questions, Moses now has two petitions. First, Turn away your great anger. Turn it away. And secondly, yes, they deserve punishment for idolatry, but Moses begs for gracious compassion. Why? Because Moses does understand God has this right. Idolatry deserves destruction Moses goes on, remember the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Israel, your servants to whom you made an oath. Moses' third petition is that Yahweh remember Abraham whom he called. And we saw earlier this year, there was a twofold oath that was given to Abraham after he divided all the animals to establish God's covenant. You said, I will multiply your descendants, speaking to Abraham, as the stars in the sky, and all of the land which I spoke, I will give to them to inherit forever. Now, Yahweh had asked Abraham to count the stars in the heavens if he could. Now, Abraham could have seen about 3,000 stars, but just imagine yourself outside in the middle of the night and trying to count even that many. It would be impossible. And here is how God does above and beyond how we even understand what he speaks. Instead of 3,000, by now his descendants have already grown to 2 million people. And you spoke of an eternal inheritance. And so now, 
Please keep your word in spite of the idolatry of your people and my brother Aaron. You see, even leaders can fall into idolatry. And people, this is what I've learned from Moses. And this is for all of us now, not just Moses 3,400 years ago. May we all be moved by this example of Moses on Mount Sinai to be quick to petition God whenever we experiencing something we do not understand. In fact, we understand that it is contrary to his word. Now, we don't have infinite knowledge, but we do have his word. And when we see something that doesn't seem right, petition God, call upon him, do it. And then we're told Yahweh was moved to compassion concerning this harmful deed. Then Yahweh had compassion over the evil. And maybe some of you are scratching your heads because I don't know what your Bible is saying. But the word here, which sometimes means repent, and it means to turn to compassion, it's racham. You know that song, El Shaddai, El Shaddai, Ercham Khan? That means we will be compassionate. And compassion outflows from love. So, This is what Yahweh does as a result of Moses' bold petition in reminding God of two words he has spoken. He's moved to compassion over this evil of destroying. This is a direct, affirmative answer to Moses' petition. And he turns his anger to compassion, which he had spoken to do to his people. So as a result of this prayer, he did not consume them He did not wipe them out in death. He remembered Abraham and his word to Abraham. Now let's go forward to the gospel. And I have a lot to say about this one verse. It starts with the Messiah's example of praying in love for sinners. But he did that so that we too may be like him and pray similar prayers. So now let's look at Messiah's example, teaching, and his actions. In the example we heard read to us, Jesus was saying, Luke uses a tense of the verb, which means every minute he was on the cross, he was saying over and over again these words, Father, forgive them, for they've not known what they are doing. So while being crucified, Jesus continually prayed to God so that all crucifying him would be forgiven. And since each and every person who ever lived, that's some 10 billion people or more, is responsible for the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, this is a greater intercessory prayer than Moses for Israel, which was only 2 million people. Now, Two things. In Deuteronomy, the pivotal book of Scripture, the last book of Moses, Moses said, God will raise up a prophet like me. Listen to him. That's Jesus. He's already in Deuteronomy. We just learn more and more later. And then way back in Hebrews, we're told Jesus is worthy of more glory than Moses. 
And why is he praying for them? This is beautiful. And think of Paul. I wasn't wiped out for being a blasphemer. I acted in ignorance. Jesus bases his plea for forgiveness on the ignorance of those crucifying him. Okay, that's his example. What was his teaching earlier in the Gospels? We're told that Jesus taught his disciples to pray for those despitefully abusing them. This is how God's people show their love for enemies by praying for them. And then his actions, Peter tells us towards the end of the New Testament, when Messiah was abused, three things. First, he did not abuse in return. And then secondly, when he suffered, he did not threaten. And thirdly, he gave himself to the one judging justly. Trust God to judge. That's what Jesus did. By faith in God, Jesus endured abuse and suffering without retaliation. There's three quick things about Jesus. Let's talk about us now. Jesus gives his followers grace to help people out of ignorant idolatry. That's why I pray that we would be better witnesses to who Jesus is. Our whole world is caught in the idolatry of selfishness. Let's look at some passages. I love Psalm 73. Asaph says, I was brutish and without knowledge I have been a beast with you. We heard that in our call to worship. This is for us. Just as Asaph confessed that he was without knowledge, and being without knowledge, he was as offensive to God as these idolatrous Israelites with the calf. People, may we all seek God that he would reveal to us any and all idols we have fashioned in our lives, and especially those of which we are ignorant. Ignorant is a key word in the gospel that we heard. Secondly, we're told through the prophet Amos that Israel does not know how to do what is right. And later in the prophet Amos is a verse that is very, very important in our day and has been used by the civil rights movement from the beginning. Yahweh exhorted his people to allow justice to roll down like waters as a stream picks up strength and there's more and more water. That's what should be happening with justice if we know God. And then thirdly, this is the most condemning in Jeremiah, the wailing, weeping prophet. My people are fools, Yahweh says, because they do not know me. In fact, they're wise at doing evil. So God's people, all of God's people are ignorant of him, and that leads to evil, including idolatry. Pastors and people as well, even leaders can fall into idolatry. 
And then Jesus said, their hearts have become thick and fat, lest they will understand and would convert. So a thick, dull, hard heart keeps people ignorant. And Jesus is quoting from the commission that he gave to Isaiah as he sent him out to his people. So their hearts could be changed. And people, again, may we be convicted of the tendency of our hard hearts to create idols and therefore offend our Savior God. Now, the church of Jesus is commanded to endure in blessing its persecutors. And I've given you verses in both Romans and 1 Corinthians. The church of Jesus is to become like him. And in terms of examples, I'm going to close with the extreme example of one of the first deacons, Stephen. Stephen. Um, Do you remember that as he was stoned, it said he cried on his knees. Talk about an intercessory prayer. Lord, do not put on them this sin. Okay, now the apostles by this time, even though nothing was written down, had taught all the people all that Jesus did. And as one of the first deacons, Stephen would have heard of Christ's prayer, that is, killers be forgiven. And so Stephen died as his Savior died, praying that his sinners would be forgiven. So here's the bottom line, people. We can become like Christ when we are in him and filled with the Holy Spirit because he is the great high priest who gives mercy and grace so that we can come boldly to his throne. I've given you a sound outline for how we should be praying in accordance with with God's will. So to wrap up what we learned this morning, Yahweh was determined to destroy his people after they urged Aaron to create a calf idol, which they worshiped instead of God. But when Moses interceded on behalf of the people, the covenant God, Yahweh, is moved to compassion. And then 1,500 years later, Yahweh's son prays for his father, to forgive all the people who were killing him out of ignorance. You see, in our ignorance, it's possible for all of us, even leaders, to go in to idolatry. And because of this, we need communion with Jesus.